Hey everyone, I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Every weeknight, we've got you covered with up-to-the-minute reporting and analysis into this fast-moving impeachment inquiry. Today, clearly a historic day. For the first time in this inquiry, we're hearing testimony out in the open, live on television. Luckily, I have two incredible guests to help me break down the latest developments. In a few minutes, we'll be talking to CNN legal and national security analyst Carrie Cordero. But first, I'm joined by CNN political analyst and Time National political correspondent Molly Ball. Welcome to the podcast, Molly. Thanks so much for having me. My first impression, I, overall, I woke up this morning, I was like, this is such a sad day. Like, I just felt depressed by uh, the whole notion that the country's going through sort of an impeachment process. And I feel like the the bigness of the moment gets lost in the day-to-day back and forth. And I thought one of the things that, at least for me, jumped out from this morning, and I think it's part by design because of the way that the Democrats did it to have these 45-minute chunks instead of going around for five-minute rounds right away, that we got a little bit more of the seriousness of what's at stake here and what was involved here rather than usually congressional hearings I just feel like are all sideshows. But this this had a little more... Uh, I felt the beginning of the hearing, those 45-minute chunks sort of matched the moment of, of what we're talking about. And I wanted you to hear this exchange between the Democratic House Intel Counsel, Daniel Goldman, Adam Schiff's top counsel on the, on the committee, the investigative counsel, uh, and Ambassador Taylor, because I think it reminds us all what was actually um, – at stake here in terms of security, Ukraine's security. It sort of got back to the actual policy of the United States as it relates to Ukraine, which I feel like is so far lost in so much of the conversation. So give a listen to this exchange. Ambassador Taylor, on the heels of you discussing the importance of the security assistance to Ukraine, I want to go to the end of the timeline where you learned that that security assistance was conditioned on Ukraine announcing the investigations that the president wanted. And in particular, on September 9th of this year, you texted Ambassador Sondland and Volker. And the text message should be on the screen in front of you. And if you could read what you wrote. As I said on the phone, I think it's crazy to withhold security assistance for help with a political campaign. What did you mean when you said you thought it was crazy? Ms. Goldman, I meant that the important, because of the importance of security assistance that we had just described and had a conversation with, with the chairman, because that was so important, that security assistance was so important for Ukraine as well as our own national interest, to withhold that assistance for no good reason other than help with the political campaign made no sense. It was, it was counterproductive to all of what we had been trying to do. Uh, it was illogical. It could not be explained. It was crazy. Molly, what do, you, what do you make of Ambassador Taylor's words there? It seems to me this is why everything was sort of a red flag for him. That's right. And there was another point uh, in the questioning 
where it was said, in fact, that lives were at stake, that this was literally a matter of life and death, that given that Ukraine remains in an armed conflict with Putin's Russia, that if they do not get uh, this security aid from the United States, people are going to die. And so this is clearly, uh, as you said, the Democrats today attempting to set the stakes of these hearings and attempting to make an impression on the American people that this is a serious matter, especially because you have uh, Republicans starting to gravitate to the argument that, uh, well, sure, maybe this wasn't totally kosher, but it's no big deal. Right. And you have uh, uh, the president and some Republican senators starting to starting to take that tack and uh, depict it as just sort of a trivial uh, one of these fleeting scandals that we seem to get twice a day in the Trump administration, uh, rather than a serious matter of of Ukrainian national security, but also of American uh, national security. And that was another point that came out of the questioning was to say, yes, this is these are these are Ukrainian lives that are at stake that we're talking about, but it's also about uh, the you know the 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 post Cold War international order. It's about maintaining world peace so as to present, prevent hot wars. And the way that we do that is by uh, propping up nations like uh, Ukraine that are right there on the edge of our adversaries in Russia. Right, but it's not at all clear if pushing back on Russian aggression is actually a priority for President Trump. I mean that that is what is at core here. Well, no, but it is it may it remains the stated foreign policy of the Trump administration. You do hear some people actually saying he's the president, he gets to set foreign policy. If he feels like having a friendly relationship with Putin and having that be our our policy, he should be able to do it no matter what these bureaucrats, these these you know pointy-headed deep staters in the state department think we ought to be doing. Uh, but that's not the case. It is still the case that the stated foreign policy of the United States uh, is that Russia is our adversary. Which is why Taylor talks of this irregular channel that seemed to be working in a way that was at odds with stated U.S. foreign policy. Exactly. And he's talking about the, the Giuliani channel that we've heard so much about. Uh, and and uh, you heard... Uh, the Democrats again trying to trying to make the case that this is highly unusual, uh, irregular is the word that Ambassador Taylor uh, repeatedly used, uh, and and also that it was corrupt, that it constituted uh, essentially bribery, and 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 that it's linked directly to the president. And I'm sure we're going to talk about this, but that was the major revelation of the day uh, was the voice of President Trump himself. Uh, being a part of these conversations. Go ahead and explain that because I was going to that that's a new that was the news of today. We got a new piece of information. What was that? Yes, and to the extent that this is about sort of the showmanship of it all, the the Democrats I think also have been very concerned that if there was no news out of these hearings, if the hearings constituted essentially a dramatic reading of the the transcripts, the testimony, the things we already knew, uh, then there would be a, a, a tendency to downplay them. Uh, by, by the media and others. Uh, so the fact that there is this new bombshell revelation, something that Ambassador Taylor says he only learned after his initial deposition, uh, I think that is the big news out of today's hearings. And and, and what he said was that uh, he was told by uh, an aide, a staffer, uh, that so- that uh, Ambassador Sondland was overheard on the phone with the president himself the president uh, asking about these investigations in the wake of a visit to Kiev. 
And uh, and that after hanging up the phone, Sondland said to this aide that the president cares more about the Biden investigations than he does about Ukraine. And this this aide that that Taylor heard this from was accompanying Sondland on meetings in Kiev um, with a top aide to Zelensky. So they when this aide overheard uh, the president's voice, as you said, is now uh, central into this. Um, it definitely makes the Sondland appearance, which was always going to be high profile, now the thing next week that everyone's waiting for. Absolutely. I mean, it's there's there's going to be fireworks, uh, especially, you know, a lot of what the uh, witnesses today are talking about is things that they heard from others. And you have heard some of the Republicans try to undermine that as, quote unquote, hearsay, even though that's a court standard, a legal standard that doesn't really apply to this kind of uh, testimony. Uh but to the extent that they are relaying things that they learned from Ambassador Sondland, Ambassador Sondland's going to be there. He's going to have a chance to corroborate all of these things. Uh, and based on the way that he has revised and extended his earlier uh, deposition, uh, there, there's a good expectation that he will, in fact, corroborate a lot of it. We shall see. But I agree. It is going to be blockbuster. And uh, you're right. He is he has corrected the record. He seems very fearful, rightfully so, of under oath, not having a straight story out there. And perhaps he will uh, continue to do so now that this information is out there. Molly, stay right there. We're going to be joined by CNN legal and national security analyst Carrie Cordero in just a moment. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. I'm David Chalian. Molly Ball is still with me. And we're pleased to welcome CNN legal and national security analyst Carrie Cordero. Thanks for being here, Carrie. Thanks, David. Great to be here. So let me just get your top line impression so far uh, of what you've seen of the arguments that are being made. I'm I'm wondering if you think um, in the questioning from the Republican side, did you see any significant undermining of what Schiff is trying to put out there? Well, from the Republican side, I think particularly the counsel, Mr. Castor's questioning, and he had a lot of time close to the 45 minutes that was allotted each side to do questioning. He focused so much of his attention on the Bidens, um, on Burisma, the company that Hunter Biden was affiliated with. And he asked a lot of questions on that topic. And that said to me that they really don't have a substantive argument to counter the facts that are out there, the facts that really haven't changed that much in several weeks. Um, we get new details. We got a new detail today regarding the individual working uh, for Ambassador Taylor and the conversation that he overheard between the president and Ambassador Sondland. But the central facts are really what they were back when the July 25th phone call summary was released. It, it also seemed to me that Castor was trying to um, – Molly and I were talking in the first block about the irregular uh, channel. It seemed – he was trying to make sure that that was not perceived as outlandish, that it seemed in the line of questioning that uh, that there was uh, that perhaps it was irregular, but that this wasn't out of the realm of possibility that the president could be pursuing uh, sort of anti-corruption efforts or what have you, however they want to paint what the president was doing. He seemed to I don't know, it seemed like that was a goal of theirs is to try to make that, uh, yeah, maybe not the norm, but not outlandish, he kept saying. 
But of course, it is outlandish. So I think that was perhaps the point that he was trying to make. But I don't think that he had uh, witnesses who were willing in witnesses in terms of um, uh, Mr. Kent, Director Kent and George Kent and Bill Taylor. They were not willing to go along with that particular line. They presented themselves first thing this morning as fact witnesses. They're not really there to argue a side, one side or another. Both of them took pains to identify themselves as nonpartisan, uh, having served both of them across many administrations of both parties um, as uh foreign policy and foreign affairs professionals. So I don't think that they took that path, uh, despite the Republican councils trying to offer it. And what they were able to both of them articulate pretty clearly was that what was transpiring in the summer and early fall of 2019 was not normal. It was not just a different or alternative or shadow foreign policy approach. It was something unrelated to the actual foreign policy of the United States. And that it was something with. being done for political, personal reasons for the benefit of the president. It wasn't a different foreign policy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, that has been one of the other major goals uh, for the Democrats in these hearings is to set up these witnesses as trusted messengers and uh, honest brokers, because there's nothing that Adam Schiff can say that will make a Republican watching these hearings think he's credible. The Democrats are automatically perceived and are, in fact, part of partisans in this process. Uh, and they badly want this process to be seen as nonpartisan to the extent that that's possible. And so I think a, a thing that the Democrats are very happy about today is the gravitas that these witnesses have projected. The fact that they uh, have been meticulous, have declined, as Carrie said, to offer opinions or arguments or to take sides one way or the other. Uh, but the other thing that I thought was fascinating about the uh, Republican Council's questioning was that as he went further and further down the rabbit hole of some of these conspiracy theories involving CrowdStrike and Hunter Biden and and Ukraine and the server in 2016, uh, both uh, Taylor and Kent were sort of mystified. They really didn't weren't familiar with this entire sort of canon of extremely baroque and and mostly false uh, theorizing. Yeah, I think Kent said he had never heard the word CrowdStrike until he read the rough transcript on September right. 25th of the July 25th call. Those of us that cover politics a bit more had heard of CrowdStrike, but it was uh, it was really interesting to hear him say that. That's how far removed it was from his thinking. I want you to hear how the Democratic Council Goldman tried to with Kent prebut some of this on the Biden factor here. Give a listen to uh, how Kent answered these questions. Now, at the time of this call, Vice President Biden was the front runner for the Democratic nomination in the 2020 election. And Mr. Kent, are you familiar, as you indicated in your opening statement, about these allegations related to Vice President Biden? I am. And to your knowledge, is there any factual basis to support those allegations? None whatsoever. Um, when Vice President Biden acted in Ukraine, did he act in accordance with official U.S. policy? He did. Now, Carrie, that is from the State Department official, the one who actually did flag a concern in the Obama administration to the office of the vice president when Hunter Biden got put on this board is just like there might be a perceived conflict of interest here. He actually did flag that, but he could not have been more certain here that he saw absolutely 
no wrongdoing on the part of the vice president and no foundation to anything about uh, improper uh, behavior into what was going on in Ukraine. Well, and with respect to the argument that the president and his surrogates make regarding 2016 election interference, former intelligence community professionals, the written record of information that's come from the intelligence community never has said that there is any information or evidence indicating that there was some Ukrainian influence into the 2016 U.S. election. I mean, they're really the only person out there making this argument um, in uh, actual news outlets is is Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal envoy. This is just not a credible argument. And so uh, I think the two diplomats who were testifying today just underscored that that is a frivolous argument. It's not grounded in anything that people actually involved in government think to be true. It's not a credible argument, but it is very confusing. And I think that that is a big part of what the Republicans are trying to do here is to muddy the waters, create confusion, and ultimately to leave the uh, viewing audience with the impression that everyone is corrupt, that the Bidens are corrupt, that Trump is corrupt. It's It's the whole swamp. So even if you're going to be upset with President Trump for his actions, uh, he's no worse than anybody else. And that has been sort of the through line uh, in a lot of these arguments is not just the sort of whataboutism of, oh, yeah, I know you are, but what am I? But also confirming, I think, the the, the sort of gut feeling of most Americans, which is that uh, everything in Washington is a little bit sleazy. <laughs> I mean, it's part of what Donald Trump successfully ran on in, in 2016. Correct. Of course, now he's right there in the middle of all this swampiness as it relates in this issue. Molly, my final question for you, uh, looking ahead to Friday, well, tomorrow's a down day in testimony, I guess, but um, what what do you think fills the vacuum between now and Friday? What are you looking for as these the first day of hearing sort of comes to an end? Where do we go from here? Yeah, well, I think, as you said, because there are no witnesses testifying tomorrow, uh, a lot of the day will be spent uh, chewing over what we heard today and learning more, particularly about that big news development. Uh, CNN now reporting uh, that the uh, aide to Ambassador Taylor has been identified, uh, a person named David Holmes, and I expect that there will be a lot of investigation of uh, who this person is, what their role was, what exactly uh, they heard or think they heard, how how it can be substantiated. Uh, And then, as as you said, we'll resume testimony on uh, Friday with, I believe, uh, former Ambassador Yovanovitch, uh, who will also have some uh, very juicy things to say if her uh, deposition is any indication. (laughs) Indeed. Um, And it was fascinating to watch Taylor today just take pains to Carrie's point earlier about being a fact witness. When, when At one point, he got in a back and forth with Ratcliffe of Texas, and he just said, I want to remind you, I have no nothing to say on impeachment. I have nothing to say on the outcome here. Like, I am here just to tell you what I experienced. And it, it just is so fascinating to watch people not, you know, to sit there before at the witness table and not want to take sides when everyone on the other side is hoping they represent one side or the other of their cause. Uh, Molly, Carrie, thank you both so much for joining me on the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. And thanks to our listeners. We've got a new episode for you every weeknight. So please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever your favorite podcast app is. And while you're there, leave us a rating or a comment. 
It really helps people find the show. We'll see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.